0: The opinions of this program are not necessarily shared by the Cortez Radio Board of Directors or staff. You're listening to 89.5 CKTZ Cortez Community Radio. This is Max Tyson for Cortez Currents. Around the globe, people are dealing as best they can with the novel coronavirus outbreak, SARS-CoV-2, also known as COVID-19. After we wash our hands, don a face mask, and avoid non-essential travel and socialization, Many of us are looking for ways to maximize our immune function. A quick internet search will reveal an assortment of advice on what foods, lifestyle, and supplements may increase your resistance to contracting the virus, and your resilience to illness if you do. But there are internet resources that say the opposite. Supplements are unproven, and those peddling them are pseudoscientists. Cortez Currents sought to shed light on the importance of the immune system, and how we can support it. We connected with Dr. Jenna Creaser from the Cortez Community Health Center and Dr. Philip Calder.
1: Um, I'm a professor at the University of Southampton in the Faculty of Medicine. I have a chair in Nutritional Immunology. Um, So my expertise is mainly around nutrition, immunity, and inflammation. Uh, Most of my research has actually been about omega-3 fatty acids and other fatty acids. Uh, but I have worked on other things like prebiotics, probiotics, uh, and uh, so on. Recently, I've been giving, um, well, I wrote an article on nutritional immunity in COVID-19. And I've been giving quite a few uh, talks at uh, conferences and webinars on that topic, mainly focusing on micronutrients.
0: He also co-authored Optimal Nutritional Status for a Well-Functioning Immune System is an Important Factor to Protect Against Viral Infections, which was published in the journal MDPI Nutrients. This is where he first caught our attention. We asked Professor Calder, how does a healthy diet contribute to the immune system?
1: So, so I think there are two starting points. So the first one is the immune system is like a lot of other physiological systems in the body, which is that it needs a good supply of, of nutrients to function properly. And the immune system is part of that. The other part of my answer is we know that in people who have nutrient deficiencies, um, either because of diet or for some other reason, they have impaired immunity and greater susceptibility to infection, and there is research showing that if those deficiencies are reversed, if they can be, um, immune parameters can be normalized and the susceptibility to infection can be decreased. If you give um, people with low intakes or low status supplemental forms of some nutrients like vitamin D or zinc or selenium, you can improve some markers of immune function. And then there are other studies showing that uh, those nutrients can have a role in reducing people's risk or duration of uh, respiratory tract infection, for example.
0: Professor Calder, along with his co-authors in the paper for MDPI Nutrients, claim that, quote, a wealth of mechanistic and clinical data, end quote, suggests that many nutrients are critical to proper immune function, and that, quote, inadequate intake and status of these nutrients are widespread, end quote. And how does our immune system contribute to our interactions with the virus that causes COVID-19?
1: The immune system is there to protect us against um, harm from infectious agents if they enter the body. So that's bacteria, viruses, and other things. Now... Um, What's pretty clear is um, the human immune system in general is not very good at dealing with this coronavirus. This impairment is more exaggerated in particular groups, for example, in um, people aged 70 years or older, particularly if they're frail. Uh, In people with obesity, maybe particularly if they have some other um, comorbidity. Um, and maybe in some people who already have uh, respiratory diseases and, you know, some other comorbidities. So I think part of the explanation for the susceptibility of those people is they do have weakened immune systems because we know that the sorts of nutrients we're talking about can have a role in helping with the immune system, and helping protect against other respiratory illnesses caused by viruses. I think it's a reasonable hypothesis that they can have a role. I presented data on um, vitamin D and selenium, and actually there are data on zinc as well, where people have associated low status with More severe disease. Now, that's only an association, it's not necessarily cause and effect, but there are studies relating having a low status to having more severe disease. And I think that, again, um, suggests that maybe there's some merit in this idea and that, you know, we need um, to explore it a bit further. And, you know, what we know is the vast number of people actually are asymptomatic. So, you know, there are more people who are infected with coronavirus and who don't know it or show extremely mild symptoms than there are people who get sick, uh, just the tip of the iceberg. Um, So I think in most people, you know, their immune systems are probably doing reasonably well.
0: Local family physician, Dr. Jenna Creaser, agrees that a healthy diet supports a healthy immune system.
2: So I'm a family physician. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert in this, in this terrain, especially in this, you know, novel virus. We know that a diet that contains a wide variety of colorful fruit and vegetables is key. And, and I am seeing an amazing shift happen in healthcare where more and more physicians are starting to learn about and implement diet as a measure to help not only prevent disease, but treat and reverse disease. Like for example, with diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So we know that it makes a huge impact on people's
0: health. So how huge an impact could diet have on the coronavirus?
1: So typically what they've done is measured blood markers of those nutrients in patients hospitalized with COVID-19 and compare them to um, healthy people. Of course, there's a variation in the population. There's a variation in healthy people and there's a variation in the patients. Um, But I mean, they were talking um, quite big differences in um, selenium status. Um, I think it was about, um, you know, the levels were about half what they were on average in healthy people. I think for vitamin D, the association study um, uh, there was something like a thirty percent greater risk of hospitalization in people with low vitamin D compared to high vitamin d so they they seem to be quite big differences. It may be that you know the real differences are not quite that big that other things go along with um, you know someone might have, you know, low vitamin D, low selenium, low zinc, and, you know, a poor microbiome, and, uh, you know, they may be obese, and so on. So they may have multiple factors that are all determining this outcome. But I think, um, you know, it's hard to put a finger on uh, exactly what the uh, size of the benefit might be.
0: So there appears to be a reasonable basis for a strong message that implores people to attend carefully to their diet. We are constantly reminded in the bustling COVID-19 information landscape to rely on health agencies for guidance. And so what is the position of the BC Centre for Disease Control, (BCCDC) and Health Canada on the role of diet in battling the pandemic? It is hard to say. The COVID-19 page at bccdc.ca, COVID-19 for the public, does not mention healthy eating or supplements. The COVID-19 page at canada.ca has a section called Your Health and a page on prevention and risk, with no mention of diet or lifestyle. I was able to find, in another part of Health Canada's website, the nutrition section, some messages about diet. Simple and standalone sentences. Quote, You can eat a variety of healthy foods every day to feel good and maintain your health, even during the COVID 19 pandemic. End quote. Quote, Healthy eating is a good habit to keep up or start during this time. End quote. Quote, Although a healthy eating pattern is important for your overall health, there are no specific foods or supplements that can prevent you from catching. COVID-19, end quote. And the page goes on to recommend the standard healthy diet fare. Cortez Currents requested clarity on these statements from Health Canada. They seem to neither confirm nor deny the role of diet in prevention of disease or reduction of its severity. They declined to clarify their position and declined to be interviewed for this show, but stated that Health Canada is considering linking their nutritional page to the main COVID-19 page. A dietician with HealthLink BC shared some deeper insights into the Health Canada position. She read from a document she had received from them. Vitamin D plays various roles in the body, including reduction of influenza. There is insufficient evidence suggesting cause and effect for outcomes other than bone health. In the absence of randomized clinical trials, Health Canada cannot attribute any role or benefit of vitamin D supplementation as a measure to enhance resistance to COVID-19, end quote.
1: Yeah, that's true. So there's only these associations that don't prove cause and effect. So by clinical evidence, they actually mean trials. But um, Max, there are trials that are happening in patients with COVID-19 using some of these nutrients as a treatment. So those trials are ongoing. So I think treating the disease with these nutrients is is one thing. Um, Whether that will work or not, I don't know. But what I'm more interested in is um, what happens earlier on. If people get exposed to the virus, their immune system is in good shape to deal with it through the mechanisms
0: that we were talking about before. Dr. Jenna Creaser, again.
2: You know, we we talk about um, scientific research and what is kind of the most powerful rigorous type of scientific research and they name like a randomized controlled trial as being one of the gold standards but by nature randomized controlled trial means people are divided into these cohorts and randomly selected to receive an intervention and a lot of it has to be controlled so you can directly compare So when we're looking at something like diet, it's pretty dang hard to get a big group of people and be able to divide them, you know, into these different interventions and control things, you know, for a lengthy period of time and then prove an outcome. It's just a bit more um, technically difficult. Um, So then we look at other types of studies and research, you know, into these things, And yeah, it it just, it makes it a little more um, challenging to draw a concrete conclusion that like, yes, this person who ate five vegetables and this person ate zero vegetables.
1: So for example, there's one study where um, researchers took people who had very poor intakes of fruit and veg and they divided them into two groups. Um, And one group, the control group, carried on with their habitual diet, low in fruit and veg, and the other group, which was less than two portions a day, and the other group increased their their fruit and veg intake to five or more servings a day. And then some markers of uh, immune uh, function were improved in the group taking the more than five fruit and veg a day compared to the less than five fruit and veg a day.
2: Yeah, I think there also is something to just be said about, you know, common sense and, and what has been um, known, like wisdom, that has been there with us for quite some time um, and knowledge that we do have about nutrition and lifestyle. And then how can we apply that to other scenarios and situations, i.e. COVID? And I do think it's interesting that there, there's almost like a hesitancy. I've even noticed it in myself. Certainly, yeah, our public health or like Health Canada, the reply you got, um, other healthcare providers are hesitant to recommend something that we know is tried, true, and tested for other things because suddenly we're in the face of something new.
0: Any action taken in healthcare must weigh costs or risks against benefits. What are the risks associated with promoting healthy eating and supplementation?
1: You ask whether there's any harm. So I'm talking about um, nutritionally relevant doses really. Um, I'm not talking about um, you know, high dose supplements And of course, high dose and very high dose supplements can be harmful, uh, not necessarily to the immune system, but maybe to the immune system. Um, So for example, exceptionally high intakes of zinc can be detrimental because zinc has interactions with other uh, trace elements like copper um, and causes copper deficiency, which which is harmful. So I'm not Promoting the use of high-dose supplements, I'm more thinking about getting people to think about the fact that, um, you know, a healthy diet is important to the immune system. And that's really, uh, you know, it should be in people's minds.
2: I have a hard time truly thinking of what the costs would be, you know, in, in promoting and distributing widely more information about healthy lifestyle choices. I, I don't see why with the amount of messaging that has come out, why there couldn't be more on these, you know, measures to be more healthy in general as a means of prevention or reducing the burden of disease. If someone were to become sick and not only with COVID, but with anything.
0: Dr. Creaser alludes to other potential health benefits. What are the potential beneficial side effects of this type of messaging beyond our personal COVID-19 outcomes?
1: So there's this ongoing battle where the immune system is essentially trying to stop the virus having places to live. And I think if the immune system gets the upper hand, it starts winning that battle. And that's why, um, uh, you know, the viruses, if you like, run out of places to, to hide. And therefore, they're not replicating so well. So, um, you know, transmission will go down because viral load will go down.
2: So, yeah, in terms of a potential benefit, I think, again, you know, we're, we're navigating this global situation right now of a pandemic. But we're, we also have a society with a lot of other disease. I, I listened to a very interesting talk you know, and and the author was, he's a dietitian, and he was arguing that we're facing actually many pandemics, like a pandemic of heart disease, a pandemic of obesity, a pandemic of stress. Sure, they aren't contagious in the same sense that a virus is. But, you know, when we look at the numbers, like, in the States, he quoted something like, over a trillion dollars annually being spent on cardiovascular disease, which a large portion of that is related directly to diet and lifestyle. Sure, there's some genetic factors that play in, but a huge part of that is diet and lifestyle.
1: The same healthy eating advice applies to cardiovascular disease, to cancer, to diabetes, and so on. Um, maybe even to cognitive decline, you know, the things that are really um, the big uh, sources of morbidity and mortality. And, you know, that is uh, true right across the board. Just as there are influenza vaccinations, yet people still die of influenza infection every year, um, I think there will be some um, residual mortality and some residual illness, and therefore, you know, helping the immune system out makes some sense. Um, The other thing, of course, is the vaccination is an immune challenge, and it works by triggering an immune response. And, you know, we need that response to be optimized, and it may be that nutritional strategies can uh, help with that, and, you know, they may help disproportionately in people who are more vulnerable for particular reasons. And you know, that would be something really interesting to explore.
0: So with so much potentially to gain and little insight to lose, why is there such sparse public health advice to focus on our diet? I think the health
1: authorities have wanted to be very clear that anything that they recommend has some sort of evidence We don't have coronavirus or COVID-19 specific evidence at the level that the health authorities would want to make a statement.
2: What I've seen in our healthcare system before COVID arrived on the scene, um, you know, was already that we weren't putting a lot of attention and focus on what seems like relatively simple things. Our healthcare system does a really great job of treating acute illnesses, what we don't do a really good job of, in my opinion, is chronic disease management, preventative health care, nutrition, diet, really focusing on those pieces.
1: There's dozens of drugs and surgical treatments and all sorts of things for different elements of cardiovascular disease. But, you know, um, dietary advice and dietary change is a mainstream way of helping patients, particularly early on in in the disease, um, as are other lifestyle interventions like physical activity, smoking, alcohol, and so on. So it's interesting that in um, a sort of a chronic non-communicable disease, the sorts of interventions we're talking about can be mainstream and can sit alongside the medical therapies. But I think for um, infectious disease, um, That seems to be, you know, one step too far, maybe. If you think about early on, there was a lot of talk and, you know, there were little mini studies that were done about um, many drugs, which uh, may or may not be antivirals, for example, Uh, drugs that may be able to be repurposed, drugs that may actually have this effect when indicated for that effect. Um, so, there was a lot of that happening, and there was always, of course, the talk of the need for a vaccine, which, you know, a lot of focus went on that. So, I think that the medical solution has always had the upper hand. You know, the emphasis on, on you know, antiviral drugs on vaccines, I think, is, has not been an inappropriate one, but I think, you know, could a bit more emphasis on lifestyle, including diet, have been made. There are three observations that relate to this um, of things that happened here in the UK. So the first thing is right from the very start of the lockdown, the government was really clear that people were allowed to, even though they, we were restricted to being at home and being indoors, that people were allowed to go outdoors for physical activity once a day. And I think they were doing that on a well-being and general health-promoting basis rather than anything to do with coronavirus. The second thing is, in this country, the government reinforced its recommendation for 10 micrograms per day vitamin D as a supplement. And I think they did that because they were concerned that people would be spending less time outdoors because of the lockdown and this could impact on skin vitamin D synthesis. So again, it was not specifically, this will help with coronavirus, but vitamin D is important to human health and just remember you need a supplement. And then the third thing is when data started coming out that obese people seem to be more susceptible to severe COVID-19, Public Health England became very interested in this and they started scanning for evidence around obesity and COVID-19. Again, there's plenty of that evidence, but it's all observational. But uh, the authorities decided the evidence was strong. Once they decided that, they started promoting the importance of weight loss very vigorously. So on television, there have been lots of ads about weight loss on the radio. Um, There are posters all over the place on billboards and and, um, bus shelters everywhere. There are pretty nice posters about the importance of uh, weight maintenance and weight loss if you're you're overweight or obese. Um, So they've really um, been pushing this. So what's missing in all of this is a statement just like the one about physical activity, and just like the one about vitamin D supplements, which is just remember that healthy eating is really important at all times, and it may even be more important at this time, but
2: it's certainly not less important. Sometimes there's concern, oh, people might get too <laughs> too caught up in this diet and lifestyle thing and not be paying attention to the other pieces. That's the only tangible explanation I can think of or that perhaps some, um, some health care workers or decision makers are concerned people won't take it seriously if they think, oh, they're healthy because they're eating a certain way. But I think that's a false assumption. You know, why can't it be both and, right?
1: You know, there's things about words, I suppose. Um I think what the authorities don't want to be seen to be doing is saying if you do this, you know, you won't catch COVID nineteen, which I know is a is a low level uh message, but um they don't want to be seen to do that. So I can understand that. But you know, healthy eating is not going to um not going to make things worse um, and it might make things better. So, um, you know, I think the message could have been made in a way that um, met uh, the rigorous criteria that the authorities might want it to make. So I think this is, you know, what they call a teachable moment. You don't have to say, you know, it's the answer to the problem, um, but, you know, it's not going to be harmful.
2: Canada's food guide was actually under a fair amount of scrutiny um, not too long ago because it was recognized that actually the food, the Canada food guideline wasn't actually that healthy if you really looked at it. And they did do a really good job adjusting it and making it a bit more realistic So could that be also part of why there is this hesitancy there? You know, things that are put out in this landscape where we do have constantly changing evidence and knowledge. um, Are they, you know, slow or, you know, shy to post something because maybe it won't be the, the most correct or the most right thing? I'd still think that overall, though, there's a benefit to put out something.
1: We don't need more evidence for the healthy eating message. Not reinforcing that message has been something that's been missing.
0: And so, what should that message be exactly?
2: Emphasize to people's food first.
1: You know, a healthy and diverse diet, which you know has a lot of plant-based foods and some animal-based foods, uh, provides most of the nutrients that um, that the immune system needs. Um, There may be some exceptions, so you know, vitamin D is an exception.
2: I recommend garlic, (laughs) ginger, um, mushrooms as a family, protein, plant-heavy diet, then supplemented with some fish or lean meats depending on what type of diet people follow, hydration, So I do recommend that people supplement with vitamin D and I say 2000 international units in the winter. Zinc is known to be good for immune function as well. So supplementing with zinc, most people about 25 or 50 milligrams of zinc a day. Then there's a few other supplements that you could consider. So for example, elderberry has some, has some um, benefit vitamin C probiotics and fermented foods it's so good for our gut health we've been discovering more and more how a lot of disease is actually related to our overall gut health and the state of our gut So eating foods like I mentioned fiber earlier, but also prebiotic and probiotic type foods. So I I also recommend, you know, people have some form of regular practice. It doesn't have to be yoga. It doesn't have to be meditation. It can be walking outside. It can be, you know, quiet time that's meaningful for you. And it all seems so obvious when I say it. Um, So I hope that's helpful, but it is like it comes back to, you know, this This knowledge that is, in some ways, tried, tested and true, but sometimes we forget about.
0: So there you have it. There's the missing message. Choose food, take a breather and supplement as needed. Many thanks to Dr. Jenna Creaser and Professor Philip Calder for taking the time to share their insights and expertise. For more information, you can find links to the studies in the article for this piece on CortezCurrents.ca. You can speak with a dietician for nutritional guidance by calling 811. You have been listening to 89.5 CKTZ Cortez Community Radio. This is Max Tyson for Cortez Currents. This program was funded by a grant from the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada's Local Journalism Initiative.